0: Singing church. A singing church. You, you have built up my faith this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, if you need to use your table of contents, perfectly acceptable. Like I said, the minor prophets can be a bit tricky, so totally understand that. We're actually going to start this week, this morning in chapter 1, verse 17. But if you had a Hebrew Bible, chapter, chapter 1, verse 17, in the English Bible is chapter 2, verse 1 of... The Hebrew Bible, just an interesting little fact there as you turn. All right, Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to read through chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray... For men and women, young men, young women, young moms, young dads, teenagers, children who are on the run from you this morning. I pray, Father, for those of us who have dug great pits in our lives and fallen into those self-dug pits. That today, Lord, we would call out in our distress and that your mercy would find us there. I pray that you would redirect our steps away from our own instincts and away from our own intuitions to be wholly committed to our calling from you. I pray, Father, this morning that that my people would know only the sweetness of the restoration from your discipline. Father, I pray that if some of us are on the run, that, God, you would... Discipline us enough so that we would turn around. Let us hit whatever concrete or fall into whatever pit must come. That, God, we might be once again reunited in our allegiance to you. Enjoying the steadfast love and peace that only you can offer to us. Lord, whatever it is that you see fit to do this morning, I pray that you would do it to its fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. You may, be, you may be seated. So two and a half years ago... The Lord surprised Megan and I by hitting our house with a hurricane. And his name is Josiah. You know, my little girls, they, come, they would always come to me, and they still do, and they would say, snuggle me, Daddy. Watch a movie with me, Daddy. Build a fairy house with me, Daddy. Josiah says, I tackle you, Daddy. And that pretty much sums it up. That pretty much sums up the difference in our children. That Josiah has two speeds. He's asleep or he's running. Even when he was a child, we could hardly get him to sleep because he would never stop running. And if you've ever had a toddler in your house, you know that running leads to crashing, crashing leads to crying, and crying leads to consoling. That's pretty much the cycle of behavior. You're just waiting. Every time there's a crash, you have that moment of pause where you just wait to see how bad is it, you know? Where you just, Megan and I both just instinctively get quiet, just to hear, to see what level on the Richter scale the scream is going to be. You know. And what's interesting is that you know I try to keep him from doing this. I, I honestly I, I want to be a good dad, and I try, son. If you keep running, you're going to fall. You're going to get hurt. Son, if you go and you jump off of that enough times, you're not gonna, it's not gonna, you're not always gonna have a good landing. Son, if you keep climbing up the outside of the staircase, y'all, eventually you're gonna dive over the couch and you're gonna miss it. Trust me. But he's one of these children, he's one of these children, I don't know, if, I'm sure none of y'all have a child like this. He's one of these children that can only learn by crashing. I try to bring good grace into his life, but he only seems to know what what tears will teach him. And that's pretty true of the children of God too, isn't it? God tells us in his word how we can flourish. God tells us in our word, in, in his word how we can have peace that is without understanding. He tells us in his word how we can live effective lives. He, he tells us in, our, in his word how we can have good marriages and, have, and raise uh, God-fearing families. He, he tells us in his word how it is that we can avoid so much of the pain that is in this world. But most of us, most of us are content to run anyway. And so, just like I do with Josiah, Josiah, sometimes I just have to take a thick blanket, lay it over the hearth, and say, Son, you're just going to have to fall. And the Lord, the Lord teaches his children sometimes by letting them fall, by letting them run and go their own way and test their own strength and test their own wisdom only so that they can fall, that they might actually learn. And this morning in Jonah chapter 2, what we see is a toddling prophet who falls upon a cushioned hearth. A, a, A prophet who is on the run away from the Lord. And by watching what happens to him, we learn what we should expect if we run from the Lord. For some of you, this is a warning. You're not running, but you're prone to run. All of us are prone to run. And this is a warning that you might not run, that you might not experience the trauma and the pain. Some of you are on the run. And you are in the midst of this and today is a is a is a, a call for you to turn away, to turn around and to repent of being on the run and to call out to the lord in the midst of your distress and some of you you have the testimony of being on the run and this morning is an invitation for you to worship in gratitude the god that rescues the runner first thing i want us to see this morning is that god exhausts the runner god exhausts the runner Have you ever been in one of those situations in your life where you look around and you just wonder, how in the world did I get here? How in the world could I dig a pit that's this deep? How in the world could I fall in a hole that's this bottomless? How in the world could I make decisions and and dig myself into such a hole that it seems to be unassailable? Maybe because of the decisions that you've made, you're drowning in debt. Maybe you've had to sit down people in your life that you love more than anything and tell them things that you've done that is that is penetrating to their very souls. But you examine your life and you think, you know what? Honestly, I'm reaping what I've sown. I'm reaping what I've sown. That's where Jonah is. And if you're going to understand, so what you have really in the way chapter 2 is laid out, you have a summary in the beginning, a summary in the end, but verses 2 through 9 are really a psalm that is written as a prayer from Jonah to the Lord. And if you're going to understand the psalm, you have to understand what it's like when you're in the bottom of that unassailable pit, when you're in the bottom of that self-dug pit in your life. What do you become? You become introspective, don't you? You begin to reflect you begin to wonder how I did this, what, what should I do, where, what's, what's my next turn, what was, why did I make my last turn, how do I get out of the pit? And that's where Jonah is. In the belly of that fish, Jonah becomes introspective, recognizing that he's in a, a pit, that he's dug in his own life, that he's only reaping what he himself has sown, and he becomes introspective. How did I get here? What has my experience been? What's the way forward? What's, what's the hope? And that's important for you. If you're on the run, what you have to recognize is that you're going to fall in a, ho- in, a, in a pit. And if on this side of the pit, before you fall in, you can heed the words of Jonah, my goodness, the pain that you'll avoid. What Jonah begins to recognize is that the pit is intended to teach. That God has, the, has allowed the pit in his life that he might learn some things. Because you see, the deepest pits are the greatest schools, aren't they? I wish it wasn't so. I wish it was different than this. But by falling, we learn, don't we? By crashing, we learn what hurts us. By, by falling into the pit, we learn that which brings destruction and pain into our lives and into our families. As Actually, you can tell that, that he recognizes the need to learn because it's not as bad as it ought to be. He is in the belly of the fish. Wow, that's a different color. He's in the belly of the fish. But he also recognizes that the belly of the fish ought to be the belly of Sheol. That is, Sheol is, is Hades. It's the, the place of the dead. It's the grave. It's where you go in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew understanding and you don't come back. This is the end of the end. And so there's something of him noticing that this is a discipline, but this is also a grace. That he is not where he ought to be, but he's not certainly where he wants to be. And so he recognizes that though his breath, and we're going to see this more clearly in a minute, is fainting away, and though his breath is not as strong as it once was, and though he's here seemingly clasping on to the last few ounces of life that God has allowed to remain in his bones, he recognized that with the breath that he has, he ought to learn from this school. That there are some things that he needs to learn. And for you, it's the same. For you and I, it's the same. That we find ourselves in this pit, but but if we are alive, if we still have breath in our lungs, if there's still hours left in our lives, then the goal of the pit is not simply punishment. The goal of the pit is not simply punitive. The goal of the pit is to welcome us into a school that we will actually learn. The question is not, are you in the pit? The question becomes, what will you do with the pit? What will you do with the pit? How will you learn from the pit? I love the way the commentator R.T. Kendall says this. He says, The belly of the fish is not a happy place to live, but it is a good place to learn. It's true, isn't it? That in the belly of the fish, in the bottom of the pit, in the darkest night of your soul, you have attained the kind of knowledge that you can't pay a million dollars to attain, but you wouldn't pay a nickel to have again. Right? See, the thing about the pit is the pit brings you to the end of yourself. The pit brings you to the end of yourself. It brings you to the end of your strength. It brings you to the end of your wisdom. It brings you to the end of your knowledge. It brings you to the end of your own self-delusion that you can outrun the call of God or that you in some way can support your own life. It reminds us of that passage I read at the beginning of our service, the, the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells, doesn't it? The prodigal goes to his dad and he says, Hey, Dad, I'll just take all of my inheritance right now, thank you. Just go ahead, whatever you were going to give me, just go ahead and give it to me now and I'm going to go on my merry way. You'll never have to worry about me. I'm going to invest in the lottery and live a good life and you won't, have to, you won't have to worry about me any longer. And he goes and he doesn't think about his dad anymore and he begins to squander his father's wealth. And squandering his father's wealth, he finds the bottom of it as is so often the case, much faster than he ever expected that he would fall it find it. So here he is in Gentile territory, feeding unclean creatures like the pigs, something that would have been unimaginable for a Jewish man to do. And even more than that, he begins to long for the slop of those pigs. But there's something about hitting that level of rock bottom. There's something about falling into that kind of pit that suddenly he's awakened to his senses and he remembers his father. It took him way longer than he ever thought it should have. It takes way longer than we would even expect it would. But he finally, they're longing for the slop of the pigs, longing for the slop of the unclean animals, comes to his senses and for the first time, for the first time in that young man's life, he doesn't just know about his father's goodness. He doesn't just know about his father's mercy. He doesn't just know about his father's kindness. He appreciates it. He longs for it. He loves it. He dreams of it. He pursues it. You know, Josiah, Josiah has learned that when he's going down the steps into the carport to reach up for daddy's hand, he didn't used to do that he would pull his hand away from me and he would insist that he could do this all by himself that he didn't need any help from his old man to get down a few little steps into the carport he was a man of his own making right and then he hit the concrete and then he hit the concrete and laying on that cold concrete Josiah learned that my hand wasn't oppressive my hand wasn't trying to keep him from freedom my hand was there because i love my son Because I care about my son. Because I want to protect my son. Because I want to provide for my son. Because I want to guide my son. How many of us have resisted the kindness of God? We've rejected believing that the word of God is an oppression to us. We're believing that it is an encroachment upon our freedom only to find ourselves laying, crying on the face of the concrete, finally willing for the first time to appreciate the mercy of God and the goodness of God and the kindness of God to reach up our little hands, to take that hand that he has all of our lives offered to us. Yeah, you see what the Lord will allow to happen? The Lord will allow yourself to run, Allow you to run yourself ragged. Do you know that? The Lord will allow you to run yourself ragged. The Lord will allow you to thrash against the waves of his discipline. The Lord will allow you to fight and to try to swim your way out. Only to find yourself sinking to the bottom. Only to find yourself only deeper into the pit. Continuing to dig it deeper rather than climbing out of it. Because you see the Lord... The Lord prepares through his discipline his children for mercy. The deepest pits are the greatest schools and the hardest discipline precedes the greatest mercy. That's what I want you to see. And I almost didn't say it that way because I know some of you come to the table with some baggage when it comes to discipline. I get that. You you had a mean parent or an abusive parent who took that and they used it to lord over you. And that is not the picture at all of the way the Lord disciplines us. The Lord doesn't come as some domestic child abuser into our lives to to come and to to bring harm to us. The Lord instead comes to bring hard discipline in our lives, to breathe life into us. You see, the hardest discipline is not by the abusive parent. The hardest discipline, ask any parent in here, comes from the parent that would do anything to avoid pain in their child's life. The hardest discipline comes from that parent that would step in front of a a thousand trains to keep their child from being hit, but what they know is that a temporary wound is better than a long-term trauma. A temporary wound is better than a a long-term woundedness that I can bring a superficial pain into your life that hopefully will prevent from your life a long-term abiding, nagging, gnawing pain that can't go away. And so a good and loving parent we bring pain into the lives of our children because we love our children. It's mercy that does that. Jo- Jonah recognized, I say that it was a self-dug dug pit, but that's really an unfair thing for me to say. Jo- Jonah recognized that, yeah, he made decisions that dug the pit, but the Lord, the Lord cast him. You'll, you'll see there in verse 3, he says, for You, that's the Lord. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. That is that what he recognizes is that the storm that has come into his life is not simply the result of a natural cause and effect on his life. That is what he did doesn't just cause storms to come up in the sea. That instead what he's receiving is a divine discipline. It's a, it's a, design, a, a divine response to his, his obstinance to continue going in the direction that he wants to go and in the path that he wants to go. That he recognizes that those swells that are rushing over him are actually the discipline of God. Bringing, hoping to sink him to the bottom so that he might look up and recognize, come to his senses. You see, discipline without mercy especially in the human sphere, that's just abuse. But mercy without discipline, that's entitlement. And entitlement doesn't teach. Entitlement enables. Entitlement makes you believe that what you're doing is in some way justified and okay. It allows you the, the unhealthy and wrong belief that if I can keep continue doing the things that I'm doing, it won't bring harm to me, it won't bring harm to the people around me. And so God, because he is our protector, God, because he is our provider, God, because he is out for our great good, will allow discipline to come into our lives that we might be awakened to recognize that we have a need for his mercy in our lives. Martin Luther calls this, he calls this uh, merciful wrath. It's a a fatherly discipline. It's a, a wounding medicine. It's a surgery that brings pain in the short term, but healing in the long term. This morning, I wonder if that's where you find yourself. Because as you lay there and you thrash against the Lord's billows and the Lord's waves, as the Lord casts you down into the deeps, as you begin to run yourself ragged, you're ragged this morning you're exactly where you need to be to respond next you see God exhausts the runner but God hears the ragged do you hear that it sounds like bad news until you get to this point now we're getting to the point of application First we're in the point of identification, now we're in the point of application. God exhausts the the runner because of his great mercy, because of his great love. He brings discipline into your life. He allows you to thrash against the waves and run yourself down. But then, then, when you're ragged, when you're past the point of any delusion of your own strength, now you can call out to him and he will hear you. He will hear you. This is where Jonah was, right? This is where Jonah was that Jonah is in a place where he says that that he's in verse 7 he's fainting away. There's a, a trauma in his life. He's, much of the psalm is him reimagining and recounting the experience that he has. And he, he talks about the bars of Sheol, the bars of death closing around him. He talks about the, the flood, almost a, a noaic reference here, coming down over him in judgment, sucking the oxygen out of his lungs. He, he imagines himself, he remembers himself being on the bottom with the barnacles of the sea, tying him down with no hope of escape of his own accord. And you can hear the trauma in his voice, can't you? You can hear how alarmed and how afraid he was. And there, there, laying with his head entangled in the barnacles. There at the bottom of the sea with no ability to escape. He suddenly, as he's fainting away, as his breath is leaving his lungs, as he's drowning in his own bad decisions. He remembers. He remembers. I remembered. Don't you wonder what took him so long? Don't you think? As he's sitting there recounting this story, he thinks, "Why did it take me so long? Why did I subject myself to such judgment? Why did I subject myself to such discipline? Why did I allow myself to fall so far? What took me so long?" That's the thing about Josiah. He's similar to that. Josiah, you, you try to slow him down. He doesn't want anything. To, he doesn't want anybody to interfere with his plans. Got a kid like that? He doesn't want anybody to interfere with his, he's got a little balance cycle, and he, or bicycle, we call it a cycle, a bicycle that he rides in loops around, and he doesn't slow down no matter where he is, and he thinks he can take every curve at breakneck speed, and you try, you try, man, slow him down. But he just thinks you're in his way. But you know what? When he crashes, when he crashes and he screams, it doesn't matter what part of the house he's in. Did you know that? I don't care if he's in the basement. I don't care if he's upstairs in his room. I don't care if he's in the bedroom on the far side of the main level. It doesn't matter what side of the house he's in. When my son falls and my son cries out for his dad, the dad that he once turned away from, that dad that he was denying, the dad that he was rejecting, when he calls out for his dad, I go to him. I go looking for my son because I love my son. When he calls out in his distress, he doesn't get my wrath. He gets my mercy because I love my boy. And what we learn from Jonah, one of the main points of chapter two, is that there's no limit to God's hearing of his children, there's no limit. Here's Jonah, and he's fallen, and he's sunken, and it takes him far too long to remember. And he's, he's in the depths because of his own decisions, and he's reaping what him, he himself has sown. And he's there tight. The bars are shutting around him, and, and it seems as though it's all hopeless. And there, he finally remembers, and he calls out to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He doesn't turn a, a deaf ear. He doesn't turn a blind eye. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, he says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Remember, Jonah is worried that God is not going to operate outside the boundaries of Israel. And here he says, I'm drowning on my way to Tarshish on a ship that set sail from Joppa. And here I am on my way down to Jerusalem. And yet my voice made it all the way to Jerusalem. My voice made it all the way to the temple. And he says in verse 2, a summary of the whole song, he says, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. That wherever he was in the house, however far he had fallen, however deep he had sunk, there the Lord came in pursuit of him. There the Lord came and found him and responded. I have good news, church. I have good news. God hears you no matter how far, how long, you don't listen to him. God hears us even though we don't listen to him. Isn't that good news? The question is not, will he hear you? The question is, is how long will it take for you to realize it? How long will it take for you to call out on his name? How long will it take for you to throw yourself on his mercies? How far will you have to sink? How far will you have to fall? How near to death will you have to get before you remember the Lord and call out to him that he might answer you? That your voice might reach through Christ, the very doorway of his throne. See, I think we can come to a story like this. Especially for those of us who are younger and have less life experiences and fewer consequences in our lives. And we think, well, it's going to turn out fine for Jonah. It'll turn out fine for me too. I'll just keep running for a little while longer. We we hear stories like this and we think that perhaps if God's mercy is just always going to be there whenever we call, then what difference does it make if I continue living however it is I want to live? Whenever I get tired of it, whenever the new wears off, whenever I find myself in a hard place, then I'll call out to the Lord. That's to miss the trauma of what happens in the psalm of Jonah chapter 2. You see, the sooner you call out, the shallower the scar. The sooner you call out, the shallower of the scar... And I could go around the room this morning and I could tell you person after person after person who is still dealing decades later with the wound that they created because of their own obstinance, because of their refusal to call out to the Lord. And so we can hear and know that wherever you are this morning, you call out and the Lord's mercy will find you there. But no matter how far you are, don't keep going further presuming upon his mercy because today, today is the greatest kindness you could receive. Today is the deepest healing you can know. Turn away from your running and towards your Lord today and you will find your spirit much quicker to heal than if you keep moving on towards your own destruction. See, there's no limit to God's hearing and there's no boundary to God's mercy. Look at verse 6. I want you to see the beauty of verse 6. You know, from those of us who are human parents, and I'm guessing this probably, this probably includes you, when our son, like Josiah, goes his own way and does his own thing, and, he, and what happens to him is exactly what we told him would happen to him, our first reflex isn't always mercy, is it? There's this like, little thing inside of you that you say, I told you so. You know, like, I told you so. Listen to me. That's not our Heavenly Father. That's not our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 6. At the roots of the mountain, I went. Down. Do you remember what I, I I pointed this out last week in chapter uh, chapter one? How God tells him to go north, and he goes down, down, down. Like there's this downward spiral. Here's Jonah, and what is he acknowledging? I made these decisions. I got myself into this mess. I went down. I let my life spiral out of control. I made all of these decisions. I did this. I sunk myself to the bottom by my decisions. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I can't fix it. I spiraled my life out of control. I sent my life down, down, down. It's forever. I can't fix it. It's insurmountable. There's nothing that I can do except... There's a but God moment. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Do you hear the echoes of resurrection there? Do you hear the echoes of resurrection? I ruined my life. I made decisions that sunk my life. I placed myself at the bottom of a pit that was insurmountable and unassailable. I couldn't fix it. It was forever but God. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, knowing my plight, heard my distress and came and joined me in the pit and picked me up. And he raised me out of death. He raised me out of the pit. He took me and put my feet out of the miry clay and onto the solid rock. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Do you remember what the issue was for Jonah? The issue for Jonah was that he believed, he believed that there were boundaries around the mercy of God. The Assyrians, the Ninevites, they did not deserve the mercy of God. Have you not seen who they are? They worship all the pagans. They worship all the other gods. They are the enemy of the people of God. But here's Jonah in the bottom of a fish, and he doesn't deserve it either. In fact, he's outside the boundaries of Israel. He's outside the boundaries of God's apparent providence in in his mind's eye. And yet there in the bottom of the fish, there God, he finds out that God's mercy has no bounds. And I want you to imagine those, those Jews that would have read this, that were in the exile as a result of the Assyrian attack, who've been cast out of their land, now living in Gentile world, outside the boundaries of God, how this would have resonated with their soul. Here they were in enemy territory, and God's mercy could find them there. God's mercy can find you in enemy territory. I want you to hear me say that this morning. There is no boundary. There is no pit. There is no, there is no deep sea deep enough to keep you from the mercy of God. It is a deep diver that you've never known. It will come after you with a relentless passion that you can't even begin to fathom if you'll call out. I wonder if you have a secret relationship this morning. And you think it's too deep. I'm in too deep, I'm in enemy territory, God's mercy can find you there. I wonder if you have an overwhelming addiction. And you'd say, this is the result of decades of poor decisions. I am only in the pit that I have dug by my own choosing. Can I tell you something? God's mercy can find you there. God's mercy can find you there. I wonder if you're in the deepest depression and you see no hope and you feel like the walls are closing in. Can I tell you that God's mercy will find you there? God's mercy isn't limited by the boundaries of the enemy. He is the light that pushes back the dark. The question is, is, how long will it take for you to call out to him? How long will it take for you to call out to him? How long before you realize it? Are you ragged this morning? Are you run down and exhausted from the discipline of the Lord? Do you find yourself in the belly of the fish this morning? Brother, sister, call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord. Your refusal to listen to him does not mean he won't hear you. Call out to the Lord. God hears the ragged. And then God rescues the rebel. God rescues the rebel. So you have Jonah. And God is going to raise him up. These echoes of resurrection, right? He's going to raise him up out of the belly of the fish. The fish is going to vomit according to the word of God. And it's going to shoot Jonah there onto onto the beach. But what we're supposed to see is that this isn't just about salvation. And when I'm talking about rescuing the rebel, I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about conversion. I'm I'm talking about that moment in which God, God delivers you from yourself and delivers you from your sin. And that forever destiny that you honestly deserve. But we're talking about more than that. Every parent of a child, you don't just want to modify the behavior of your children, do you? You want to transform the heart of your child. You want them to do the right things because they're the right things. You want, through discipline, to forge in them a particular type of character that enables them to operate and flourish going forward in their lives. You're trying to forge in them something transformative, and that's the purpose of the pit in Jonah's life and in mine and your life too. That, yeah, God delivers us from it in a moment of salvation, but this is not just about converting salvific grace. This is about transformative enabling grace, where he begins to change in us who we are see, in the pit, Jonah's grudges become gratitude. Grudges become gratitude. That is a transformation if there ever was one, right? You, you can see that this is the difference between verses 8 and verse 9. That there's this transformation that takes place. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, the word, the, the vain idol, it can literally, literally be uh, empty nothings. Those who pay regard to empty nothings forsake. The idea of forsaking is a mother with a nursing child who just leaves that child alone. It is the, it is the deepest, relational, most painful type of forsaking. Those who pay regard to empty nothings forsake their hope of steadfast love. We've, we've talked a lot about this word said this covenant love, this, this loyal love, this devotion to one another. And here's what he's saying. Here's, Earlier in my life, I was forsaking the goodness of God. I was forsaking the protection of God. I was forsaking the provision of God for nothing. I was forsaking God's loyalty to me out of my loyalty to myself. I was forsaking the loyalty of God to me out of my loyalty to my own pleasures, the loyalty to my own prejudices, my own loyalty to my own opinions. But... But, here's the transformation. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Why? 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 Because salvation is not my decision. The salvation of the Ninevites is not my decision. My salvation from the bottom of this pit is not my decision. Salvation does belong to the Lord. Do you see the transformation that happens? He had forsaken the Lord... But he comes to the realization that even though he had ran from God, God had only ran after him. He had forsaken God, but God had not forsaken him. And there's a switch that goes off in the mind of Jonah. That I I am so bitter and I am so filled with prejudice and grudge. And here I am only receiving the mercy and the kindness of God. That's exactly what we do, isn't it? We chase after and forsake God for empty nothings. We love video games and promiscuity more than we love the Lord. We would rather have an hour more with our favorite show than 15 minutes in time with the Lord. We love them more. We are forsaking Him. And what are they? They are empty nothings. They're what Jesus refers to as moth food. Though we may forsake the Lord, He has not forsaken us. He has come after us. He has pursued you. He has brought you to this moment on this day to hear this word. That you could be right with him so that you in your life, rather than having the the floods of judgment come against you and the discipline of God rain down upon you, can instead experience the depths of his rich mercy. Will you let gratitude puncture through the rock of your heart? Will you let gratitude plumb down in the depths of the bitterness that you hold toward your parents? Will you let the the passion of gratitude of the gospel come and, and penetrate those prejudices that you've held for far too long? That is that your rescue is not just about getting you out of the fish. Your rescue is about transforming the person that you are so that you are more in alignment with the character of God. That's the purpose of the pit. In the pit... Grudges become gratitude, and judgment becomes mercy. Think about this. The fish, that's a strange way to save a person, isn't it? I, I mean, he could have, he could have just picked him up and set him very neatly on the beach and built him a nice little fire to warm up by, couldn't he? But God doesn't do that. God allows him to be swallowed by a fish. And so in some sense, it's a rescue. And in another sense, it's a discipline. In one sense, it's grace. And in another sense, it's judgment. And in the fish, these two coalesce for the purpose of Jonah's salvation. And that's a pretty good picture of who Jonah is. Jonah is an instrument of judgment against the Ninevites. He personally judges them unworthy and he has a message of judgment against them. And yet he is sent as an instrument of judgment to be at the same time an offering of mercy that those who would turn and repent would be saved. And so it's not his decision to make whether he will go or he will not go. Why? Salvation belongs to the Lord, not to Jonah. The Lord will save whom he will save. And he will save them how he will save them. He will save them through whom he will save them. This was not Jonah's decision. So the fish... The fish is judgment and it is mercy. And Jonah, he is judgment and he is mercy. But this word, salvation, belongs to the Lord. And I've I've scarred this up good, so you stay with me. Do you know what the word is that sums this up? That's found right here in salvation? It's the word Yeshua. Do you know what this word is? This is the Hebrew word for Jesus. For Jesus. You see, Jesus... Jesus would go to a cross. And what is the cross? The cross is an instrument of judgment, isn't it? But it is an instrument of judgment that becomes an offering of mercy, a place of salvation. It is at the cross where judgment and mercy intersect. And so here is Jonah all these years before, sitting in a fish, the judgment of God, to receive the mercy of God. Here is Jonah sent to the Ninevites to be an instrument of judgment against the Ninevites, but an offering of mercy to the Ninevites, Ninevites, and it is all pointing us forward. That there is a greater Jonah that is to come who will lay himself down upon that instrument of judgment. That he might receive your judgment and my judgment and your youngest child's judgment and Josiah's judgment. So that instead of judgment through the cross, we might receive mercy. That yeah, yeah, I sunk myself to the deep. I dug myself that pit and it was forever. But by the grace of God, according to the mercy of God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, I have been raised out of that pit. I wonder how long it will take you to realize it. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning.